It's good to see you this morning. It's great to be able to jump back into Revelation together. I'm excited to be with you and with those joining us in Liberty Hill and also the gym venue. If you remember with me the last time, a while back, we were in Revelation. We talked about the seven bowls of God's wrath. When we read about the seventh angel pouring out the seventh bowl of God's fierce wrath, we saw earthquakes and lightning and the city of Babylon splitting apart at the seams as God poured out the fierce wrath of his just righteousness upon the wickedness of the world. From the throne room of God, the word of God rang out. And the word that rang out from God's throne was the word done. The wrath of God is complete with the word of God speaking into reality. The absolute judgment of God upon the wickedness of the world. In a single word, that reality comes into existence. Done. All the world rose up against God in rebellion and with the single word, God completes judgment. It's over. In Revelation chapters 17 and 18, we dig into the details of the finality, particularly related to Babylon. And so we're going to jump into those details as we look in Revelation 17 as the final details of time as we know it tick off the clock to certain victory. Solomon was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He is known for his wisdom. At the beginning of Solomon's reign, God came to Solomon and said to Solomon, whatever you want, if you ask me, I will give it to you. Solomon responded to God's offer to ask anything by asking for wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Solomon knew that he needed wisdom. He knew that he lacked the wisdom he needed. And so he asked for wisdom. That boggles my mind. How did Solomon, who lacked wisdom, have the wisdom to ask for wisdom? I mean, how does somebody that's not wise act like they're really wise when they know they need wisdom? What's going on here? I love the answer to that question. You know how Solomon knew to act so wise? The answer is in Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon speaking says, when I was just a little guy beside my father, my dad told me to get wisdom. You know how Solomon knew to ask for wisdom? Because his dad said, if you find wisdom, 
it will change your life. Whatever you do, Solomon, get wisdom. And so when Solomon had the opportunity to ask for anything, he did the wisest thing of all. He asked for wisdom. You know, we all need wisdom. We know it. We're reminded regularly. We need wisdom. We need to get wisdom. Revelation 17 is an opportunity for us today to find wisdom. And I am so excited that we have this opportunity today together to find the kind of wisdom that can change our lives. So let's look at Revelation 17 together. We're going to start in verse 1 and 2. I'm just going to work through the chapter together. So Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 1. One of the seven angels, which has had the seven bowls, came and spoke to me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute which sits upon many waters. With her, the kings of the earth commit sexual immorality and those who dwell upon the earth are drunk from the wine of her immorality. Now I want to remind you that Periodically through Revelation, you see the words immorality or sexual immorality. And oftentimes through Revelation, that is a term that encompasses the idea of idolatry. That the world is committing sexual immorality in the sense that it is aligning itself with something other than God. And pursuing the worship of any and every other thing but God. And God equates idolatry with harlotry. And so here, John is being told, you now have an opportunity to see a vision of the judgment of God upon the wickedness and the idolatry of the world. John, with anticipation, is swept up by the angel in the spirit, taken into what he calls the wilderness, and he has shown this vision of judgment upon the wickedness and idolatry of the world. So let's see what John sees. Verse 3. And he took me into the wilderness in the spirit, and I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed with purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full 
of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead was written the name, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of immorality and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk from the blood of the saints and from the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great marvel. In other words, I was shocked beyond shock. John is told, come here, I want to show you a vision of the judgment of God upon the immorality and idolatry that stands against God. John is whisked up and he sees this vision unfolding. And the vision he sees, much to his shock and bewilderment, is a woman that is beautifully adorned in sensuality and wickedness, riding on a beast of blasphemy carrying out unbridled wickedness and idolatry while inebriated on the blood of those who follow Jesus. And when John sees that vision, he is in shock. This is not the vision of judgment that John was led to believe that he would see. The only judgment that appears to be occurring is a judgment following, falling on those who follow Jesus. All idolatry and wickedness on the earth is consuming those who follow Jesus and wiping them out. And John sees this vision and in this moment he is absolutely in shock. What in the world? Am I seeing? And the angel questions John's reaction to the vision. Look at verse 7. And the angel said to me, Why are you shocked? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast which carries her who has seven heads and ten horns. The angel says to John, why are you reacting with shock to this vision? Hey, I know it feels a little mysterious at this point. Maybe you can't completely see everything that I can see, but I want to show you the mystery of the woman. Hang on, John. Don't, don't react yet. There's more to the story than what you've seen. Just hang on. I'm going to unveil for you the mystery of the vision that you have seen. So the remainder of Revelation 17 is an explanation given by the angel to John unveiling the mysterious nature of the vision that John saw of judgment on the wickedness of the world. This is one of those moments in Revelation where we have a mystery and we're actually told we're going to get some of the mystery revealed. 
Now, we would be mistaken if we thought that a revealing of the mystery means absolute clarity as to all the details of the vision because that's not what we're going to get. We're going to get a revealing of the mystery so that we might see what Jesus intends us to see about who he is and what he says so that we might respond to him today. So we are given clarity so that our minds and hearts see the revelation of Jesus and respond rightly to him. So let's start out by looking at verse 9. We're going to skip over 8. There's three sections of the explanation. Verse 8, then verses 9 through 14, and verses 15 through 18. We're going to start with a phrase that begins the second section of the explanation in verse 9. I want to just start with this phrase and think for it uh, just for a second on this phrase. So look at verse 9. Here is the mind of wisdom. Right there at the beginning of the second section of explanation, we get this phrase, here is the mind of wisdom. If we will see what has been made clear, we will find wisdom. And thankfully, the angel communicates what is clear so that we might find what we need today. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. The beast which you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go into destruction. And those who dwell upon the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be shocked. Seeing the beast that was and is not and will come. Here's the first explanation to John. John, the beast, remember the beast back in Revelation 13? Received a fatal blow, the beast out of the sea. And after receiving the fatal blow, the beast is given life again. And when the beast overcomes death, the world is mesmerized by the beast such that the entire world worships the beast. So John is being reminded of the beast that came out of the sea who was, is not, and will come. The reminder of the beast that received the fatal blow was brought back to life and on display for the world to see in shock that the beast had the power over death. And in the shock and the mesmerizing 
view of the beast, the world worships the beast. And so John is being reminded in a form of mockery that what mesmerized the world in a moment was not the whole story. The beast was and is not and will come. Jesus was and is and is to come. Do you see the mockery here? And the beast which comes back from the dead mesmerizes the world as if the world should put its hope in the beast is simply coming back to life for a short period of time only to rise to destruction. But Jesus Christ, who is, who was, and is to come, has come for eternal victory. John, you may think, along with what the world was seeing, that the beast came out of the abyss to reign and rule, but the real story is, if you just hang on a little while, you're going to see judgment on the beast, and it will be eternal destruction. But if you hang on for a little while, you will see Jesus Christ, who is to come, reign with eternal victory. Just hang on a little longer. Do you see what John's being told? Do you see the the explanation unfolding? This is the mind of wisdom. Hang on just a little longer. All right, let's read verse 9. Here is the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains where the woman sits upon them. They are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and one has not yet come. And when that one comes, he will remain for a little while. And the beast which was and is not, also he is an eighth and is from the seven, and is going into destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received kingdoms. But they have received with the beast authority and a kingdom as kings for one hour. These have one purpose, and they are given, and they give power and authority to the beast. All right. Anybody feel a lack of clarity? <laughs> I mean, I will reveal to you the mystery. Well, this is not a part of what we really get here in terms of revealing mystery. Who in the world are these horns and heads and kings and kingdoms and beasts? And what, what is going on here? Well, if you read Christian history and people's position on what's going on here, like who are these people in the past? Who will these people be in the future? What's really going on here? If you read Christian history's perspective on all this, you're going to read some very interesting things. 
There's a lot of speculation here around all this. And the bottom line is the identities of these individuals are not clear. You're just not going to find clarity. In fact, if you read through history, what you're going to find is that the reality is there's a lack of clarity around the identities of these kings and individuals. When we see things in Revelation with an expectation that they will become clearer and there is no clarity, that should be an immediate reminder to us that we are being encouraged by Jesus Christ to focus on what is clear. So the identities of these individuals are not clear. What is clear? Here's what's clear. Every authority, power, every ruler and kingdom throughout all of history that has set itself up against God will culminate in the end of time as we know it with a unified front of wickedness and idolatry against God. Every evil and authority and power will culminate at the end of time in a united front standing in rebellion and idolatry against God. That's what's going to happen. That's what John is told right here. Everything is going to stand against God. But John, hang on. Don't just react to the fact that every power in the world will culminate with rebellion against God. Hang on just a second. Listen to this, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them because he is the Lord of lords and he is the king of kings and with him are those who are called, chosen, and faithful. There is the rest of what you need to see, John. You need to recognize that though the world will rise up against God in rebellion, God, through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will be victorious. Every king that stands up against Jesus will discover he is the king of kings. Every lord and authority that stands up against Jesus will discover he is the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will be victorious. Just hang on a little longer. This is the mind which has wisdom. All right, let's read the last section, verses 15 through 18. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples and the multitudes, the nations and the tongues. The whole world is represented here in standing against God. Verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, they will hate the prostitute. And they will make her desolate and naked, and they will consume her flesh, and they will burn her with fire. For God gave them one heart to do his purpose. 
and to do a common purpose and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. John, the entire world will be wrapped up in the idolatry and immorality and abominations of rebellion against God. And you may not think in that moment you see the purposes of God, but let me tell you what's happening, John. God is giving the people of the world one heart to unite against the Lamb of God such that they will actually self-destruct and stand in rebellion against the Lamb so the Lamb can overcome once and for all all the wickedness of the world and stand in victory forever. John, this is the mind of wisdom. Jesus will be victorious. You you remember the story of Moses? How Moses believed he was going to be a deliverer of God's people? And then he had a misstep where he murdered an Egyptian. You remember what he did when he got caught? He ran away and he hid. He gave up on the dream of being a deliverer. He was broken. But God found him in his hiding. And God said to Moses, I want you to go back and be the deliverer that I called you to be. You know what Moses said to God? There's someone better than me. I would just rather keep hiding. And God showed Moses a picture of his grace and mercy by giving to Moses the ability to do things, to demonstrate that he had been with God and that God had re instated him to the call that he had given him. And because of God's mercy and grace being poured out on Moses, Moses became convinced, I can go back and I can do what God wants me to do. And he marched right back into Egypt and he met with all the leaders of Israel and he showed them these miraculous signs that God had actually met with him and that he was the one who was to be the deliverer for Israel. And all the people were amazed. They were so excited. What they were seeing before them was everything they hoped for. They would be delivered from their slavery and they had a deliverer that God had given his power to stand on their behalf. And so with all the confidence of having the nation of Israel behind him, Moses marched right into Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh, let God's people go. 
Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, God who? I don't care about your God. I don't care about you. How dare you? And Pharaoh responds by changing the environment for the people of Israel so that their work becomes impossible, so much so that they feel like what Pharaoh's really trying to do is just all out kill them all. Moses encounters the leaders of Israel. You know what the leaders said to Moses? May the judgment of God fall on you for what you have done to us. You think in that moment, Moses thought, I kind of expected this is how it would go. No. This was not what he expected at all. You know what he did? He ran straight to God. You know what he said to God? God, why? Why did you send me to these people? You have not delivered them at all. You know what God said to Moses? I will deliver my people. I am the Lord God Almighty, and I will be true and faithful, and I will most assuredly do what I said. Moses had a choice in that moment. Would he hang on just a little longer? Through that window that seemed to make him wonder, where is God right now. Now in hindsight, we know that Moses made the wisest decision of all. He hung on just a little longer and he saw the deliverance of God. A little over a week ago, my sister and her husband Mark had a tragedy strike their family. Mark's dad died. He's a cattle rancher. He works on his ranch regularly, and he came down with the flu. And the flu turned into pneumonia. And he went into the hospital to get some treatments for pneumonia. And while in ICU, had cardiac arrest and died. He was at my sister's family's home. Loving on his little nieces every single day. He was sowing into that family spiritual strength, love, modeling what it means to trust Christ. And he was gone in a moment. That window felt like for our family. One of those windows that you wonder, where is the faithfulness of God? What's happening? You know, there are stories right now that are happening throughout our church family. Stories just like those windows 
where you see a piece of life, just a window of life, and you look at it and you feel like, what's happening right now? Why is this happening? God, where are the fulfillment of your promises? Where is deliverance? Where is judgment? God, this doesn't look like I thought it should look if what you say is true. You know those kind of windows in life, right? You've lived through those. You see people around you living through those kind of windows right now in your life. Some of you are in a window just like that. And we cry out. We can so relate to John's shock at that vision when all he sees is the blood of those who follow Christ. We can relate to Moses' cry, why did you send me to your people? We have those moments we want to cry out. We want something different. We wonder what God is doing. And I want to encourage you simply to hold on to Jesus. When Jesus was about to be betrayed by his closest friends. He took them to a garden because he wanted to pray. And he went off by himself and he fell on his face. And this is what he prayed. Father, if there's any other way, please. But I'll trust you. Three times he cries out to the Father, if there's any other way. And the father responded to the son by saying, this is the only way. If we're going to rescue the world and introduce them to my love, this is the only way. And so Jesus entrusts himself to the father, his goodness and his promises. And Jesus walks through through a window of being completely forsaken by the Father. But that window was not the whole story. God the Father raised God the Son out of that grave and Jesus Christ walked into victory. It's it's okay in those windows to cry out. It's okay to want something different. It's okay to ask God that he go ahead and bring the deliverance. But don't ever conclude that God is not faithful in keeping his purposes intact for your life simply by looking at the window of your moment of distress. You know what Revelation 17 is for us? It's this amazing gift of God's wisdom that if we find it, we realize we have the world's 
whole history in the rear view mirror from the vantage point of God's final victory so that we can look at any single window of life through the lens of God's final victory and we can know that we can hold on just a little longer through any window and we will experience one day the victory of Jesus Christ. You know those who experience the victory of Christ? Those who are with Jesus in his victory are those who are called, chosen, and faithful. You know who finds wisdom? Those who see Jesus in his final victory as God has revealed it. And they decide they're going to hold on no matter what. He never finished the eighth grade. His whole childhood was one of poverty and hard work. And much to his dismay, his hard work never panned out much of anything but more hard work. He never could get ahead. He obviously didn't have a business mind about him. He was always coming up short, and so he decided, I'll try to join the Army. So at 16, this is in 1917, at 16 years old, he joined the Army, or tried to join the Army, and was actually rejected. He decided, well, I'll try to join the American Ambulance Corps. So he's going through the application process with that, and and while he was involved in that process, he came down with the flu, nonetheless, which at that point in America was epidemic proportions. It feels kind of like today, right? As he recovered from the flu and began to work again, he just met more and more struggle. But he kept coming back to the things that he really loved to do. He really loved animation. He loved drawing cartoons. And so at night, after he'd finished a long day at work, he would just work on drawing some stuff. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to start making some short animation films. He's 19 or 20 years old, working at night after working a long day, coming up with nothing. And he comes up with this little company that he creates called Laughagram Films. And he creates these little short films that he called Laughagrams. Started trying to distribute those around his community. And he, and, he, and he found out not too long from the time he started that it just wasn't going to work out. And he ended up bankrupt at 21 with about $40 to his name. The next seven years was much of the same. Just one struggle and heartache after another. What we would call largely failure. So if you just look at that window of his life, that's it. Failure. But when he was 28 years old, he came up with a little animated film. And the main character in that little animation, we know as Mickey Mouse. And the rest is history. You think about what Walt Disney has done in his life, and you might say that was a wise man. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But what we can say is the wisest thing he ever did 
was to keep on trying. Revelation 17 is a gift of wisdom. It's not a gift to make us keep on trying. It's a gift that enables us to see that all the essential work has been completed by Christ and he has earned our victory so that at any window of our lives that we wonder what's going on and where he is, we can simply look to Jesus Christ and what he has revealed and we can make a decision, the wisest decision we can ever make. I'm going to hold on to Jesus a little longer. Here is the mind of wisdom. The faithful see the victory of Jesus. And they are never disappointed.